Good morning and welcome to Subject ACT. I'm Nathan Gubler and I hope you're having a great Monday morning. Here today we're talking about West Papuan independence. Have no idea what we're talking about? Well, stay tuned and we will tell you all about it. I have here pretty much the, the most perfect person to inform us all about this particular uh, really, really important issue. I have Ronnie Kareni here who is co-founder of Rise of the Morning Star. Ronnie, welcome to Subject ACT. Good morning, Nathan, and yes, thank you for bringing me here, and I'm so glad and wanted, yeah, it's amazing. Um, I remember coming here sometime last year, late last year, Yeah. just trans transitioning from um, Melbourne and remember working at um, Tricia Community Radio mm -hmm. there, and I'm just glad that I came here and connect with the community radio here, and here we are today, um, yeah. Chatting. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, because you recently moved to Canberra, um, and there's a little story. If we have time, we'll have to talk about the the protest story <laughs> that you were telling me before. But um, uh, Ronnie, um, we met at uh, a, an initiative called Rockin' for West Papua, which was on at Smith's Alternative a couple of Sundays ago, which was on the issue of West Papua independence. Um, there's still it's still quite an unknown issue a lot of a lot of the mainstream media as you'd know would don't really talk about um west papuan independence can you go from basically the beginning uh where, where's the best place to start in terms of thinking about um what we're seeing now in west papua uh, in terms of indonesia's uh brutal response to the independence movement and the desire for national uh, independence in the first place yeah the first place to really um know or start about uh, the conversation on west papua is the proximity where it is and and then the history mm. so like west papua is just north of australia it is the closest um neighbor or closest um, island in australia in terms of um apart from new zealand and all the other pacific island countries New Guinea, the island of New Guinea is just northern tip. It's less than 200 kilometers. Mm. And that's the geographic uh, location of West Papua. And the history of West Papua itself, uh, leading up to the late 50s and early 60s, Australia's role in terms of the decolonization processes in the region was very much behind the support of uh, that idea of decolonization and West Papua at that time was under the Dutch rule mm, right and like the rest of Indonesia correct yes yeah. a lot of the the other parts of um, the island of Indonesia and Timor Leste was basically under the Portuguese oh okay and right so um, during that era the you know the metropolitan powers in the region, which includes uh, France, the U.S., because they also have some um, other islands in the Polynesia and Micronesia yep, region, yep. like Guam and Hawaii, and yeah, and and they had they established what is called um, the South Pacific Commission, and that was basically with this initial idea of the colonization process, and so that. So um, Samoa, Western Samoa, gained mm. independence in the early 60s, but at that time as well, the Canberra Treaty or agreement that was, they were meeting in the late 59 was basically about 
West Papua's decolonization process, Papua New Guinea, Fiji, and all these others, which was under British mm. administration. And, uh, and so Dutch was effectively trying to uh, prepare a roadmap for West Papua towards independence. So that was when in the 61, um, they already had a Congress, the first Papuan Congress, to establish a legislative council mm -hmm. by which they will work with the Dutch government and prepare the 10, 10 years roadmap towards independence. So on the 1st of December 1961, the Dutch allowed the West Papuan leaders at that time uh, to raise the West Papuan Morning Star flag yeah. or basically to recognize West Papua Le, um, independence. Yeah, independence. Yeah. Okay. So they allow West Papua to have a um, morning star flag, national anthem, and and then that roadmap towards okay, independence. Right. Yeah. Whereas in Timor case, it was basically firstly uh, the Portuguese had the vision of listed them into the UN decolonization committee, which is the C24 now still exists in overseeing. Um, any um, decolonization processes, like um, we, you know, we hear in Catalonia that they are calling for a referendum mm, yeah. and you know declaring independence. So that will go through this mechanism at the UN, which is the C24. Yeah. So Istimo was already listed there. So that means that they are uh, registered as a non-self-governing territory. That UN uh, processes will will look into that later down the track when yeah, okay. um, the the region is ready and. Uh, moving towards independence. So are you saying that at that point, West Papuan nationhood was a lot more advanced Absolutely. than Timor-Leste? It was much more advanced than yeah, okay. um, in any other islands in the Pacific, yeah. um, basically because the Dutch were already um, educating the Papuans um, in health and education. And many of in many of the Papuan, which we what was known as Papuan elites back in the early 60s, were doctors, and they were um, coming over to Papua New Guinea and serving there, even in Fiji, and many are still there. And a lot of um, people, Australians, who are doctors in those early days, are, you know, here in Australia, mm. can relate to that. They know exactly there was Papuan elites that were doctors back in the 60s. Mm. So in terms of their advancement, yes, they were advanced in those days. Mm. And sadly, it was the Cold War era that came up, yeah. And the fear of um, communism, communism yeah. that spread. And that is where, at the same time, the geopolitics, so the interest of that geopolitics kicks in, and the U.S. came out very strongly um, in terms of uh, the strategic security interest has came out in front. Mm. And that is where um, they will try to um, yeah, take control and um, making sure territories like Australia's uh, position was very vulnerable at that stage. Yeah. And so in order to um, um, put a block there of the, that fear of domino theory, um, so Australia has to make a stand and combat that spread of um, communism. So we hear in Indonesia's history in the mid-60s, 65, mm. 66, the, the murder of half a million um, communists 
followers. Mm. And that's part of history that um, hasn't been acknowledged in no. Indonesia. No. But there was and a lot of Australians recent... don't know about the anti-communist purges in Indonesia yeah. either. Yeah. Yeah. So that was that went right across Indonesia. So the U.S. used um, the then uh, dictator Suharto, Suharto yeah, yeah. regime to uh, bring down Sukarno and took mm. over. But at the same time, occupying uh, strategic areas where the reserves, the gas and oil and gold and copper reserves, which is the same history when we, if we hear about parts of Africa and other mm, places yeah. that how that occupation goes in in terms of the economic interest and that is the history now West Papua still continues to fight under this brutal Indonesian occupation by which um, it is in the interest of the global powers um, mm. the US and other big transnational companies that are now operating in West Papua especially the Freeport McMoran owned by the US company so West Papua is very resource rich is what you're saying and very. that's a big motivator in Indonesia's colonization of West Papua. Absolutely, okay. and that has been yeah, big motiv big motivating factor and the driving force in by which um, Indonesia up until now is still um, controlling West Papua or brutally occupy West Papua if there is any dissent or any protest against um, the the exploitation of the natural habitat or the locals. Um, uh, uh, sacred land site mm. and yeah and so over the years and a lot of the especially the freeport um, mining that it's the it's the only um taxpayer to the government one of the companies now other companies yeah. in West, uh, or in indonesia pay tax back to the government and there has been talk about contract now so by by this year like yeah they're talking about um, extending the contract to late, like, uh, for another 15 to 20 years. Mm. But at the same time now, they, this, the government is trying to also call for a bigger share uh, or yeah, state in the um, big, bigger stakeholder, like mm. as a step stakeholder in terms of percentage of the revenues coming in. Because at this stage, it's only 10%. Yeah. So they're trying to negotiate to at least um, grab half of that. Does the government um, give a fair share to West Papua, though, when they take that tax? Or if they do take more tax, are West Papuans going to see that wealth um, distributed amongst West Papuans? Well, it, in, on paper, that is what the, um, the government has tried to, um, to, to bring forth in terms mm. of the well-being of the Papuans and as well as addressing all these other issues, social issues that is in, in Papua, especially um, the cultural and social rights of the Papuan people, but the reality, the realization of these projects or these initiatives have to go through the military. They are the middle person oh, in okay. any realization of any projects, any investments on the ground. Really? And they also, the tenders, they, they, will, they will carry out these projects. So one example is just in September mm. at the UN General Assembly, Indonesia take the opportunity to reply, the right of reply, because of um, some of the Pacific Island countries, mainly Vanuatu, Solomon, and Tuvalu call on the human rights situation and also the self-determination issue of West Papua at the UN. So Indonesia respond and basically 
talking about the economic development in West Papua, which has, you know, they aim to have um, built over 4,000 kilometers of road from the west to the east part of um, Papua. There are two provinces because they divide the province up into two. And also seven ports and 30 new airports. So these are the claims that Indonesia make at the international yeah, forum. Yeah, right. But the reality was and uh, what was um, is actually happening mm-hmm. on the ground because the security forces are the ones who bid for the projects and they will carry out those projects themselves. Mm. So in the case of this 4,000 kilometer road project, the national pol- pol- um, military won that project. So they are now the ones that being law enforcers, but at the same time, um, business uh, people to, 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 to carry out this project and um, this road that they're going to build in Papua. Mm, mm. So you could, one could clearly see that um, there is no realization of these um, great initiatives from the government. Mm. Even um, Jokowi administration has really keen to push for foreign media coming in and um, you know, making reports on the ground and also especially just to, to enter West Papua. But the military and other key officials yeah. uh, protest that idea, and they have to go through 18 different departments uh, in West Papua, uh, in Jakarta, yeah. for the Department of Defense, and then the Department of um, Internal Affairs, Security, Legal, and then Foreign Affairs Department, and then through uh, the presidential order as well. Yeah. So all this. All this paperwork and approval have to go through these 18 different departments in order for you to go into West Papua or get uh, permission. Yeah. So that in itself shows that there is no uh, free media access into West Papua. It's a media. It's a region where media blockade has been yeah. happening. And so yeah. So on that scale itself, in terms of um, like with media and no developments on the ground is the reality and the government has tried to respond through uh, what back in early 2000 the special autonomy package okay. the special autonomy law since after the fall of Suharto and Megawati Sukarno Putri introduces that because their call for independence has been consistent and that is what they know that the Papuans want is uh, an independence mm. and, and then so in response to that, they introduced a special autonomy. And is that similar to what Catalonia has in Spain? It is. It Somewhat is. similar. Yeah. yeah. And that is, that is kind of like one step in this um, uh, bargaining process yeah. or dialogue process. So they respond with the special autonomy law. So between 2001 up until 2010, uh, that 10-year period seen that a lot of these great initiatives and ideas that the administration has on Papua mm. is not being realized because of the military um, role, especially in overseeing and in enforcing or implementing this, uh, these ideas. So they established one of an, in, uh, an independent body, yeah. which was organized, uh, set up by the government, called the People's Assembly Council. Mm. So it's. MRP and they appointed I was Papuan to sit and mostly within the executive board but then there was a greater call of uh, recognition of indigenous rights and all this within this um, council mm. and uh, the 
the chairperson, Agus Alua, um, has been vocal on those um, issues in terms of yeah, social and cultural rights. And the military and the security knew that he's going to be a threat to the state interest mm. in terms of with that autonomy package. So they, yeah, he was found dead. Oh, right. And yeah. that is one of the many cases. He's one of many cases of Papuans that if you've been vocal on um, cultural and social rights, or especially political rights to, mm. for, just, uh, for independence, that has been ongoing. And so since the Indonesian occupation, it's from the Yale University and Sydney University did a research. Like well over, on record, it's well over half a million Papuans um, have died under the yeah, okay. been either been killed or assassinated yeah. or born dead or even yeah torture. But the reality if one looks at the demography of West Papua and Papua New Guinea, in the sixties when we we talk about the advancement and Papua was already a million population like in West Papua. Mm. So at that time the population compared with Papua New Guinea, same. Yeah, both has kind of like yeah, under a million um, people at the time when it was um, taken, and it was in 2010, um, based on Indonesia's um, census data, the indigenous Papuans constitute of 1.5 million, and that is only and then and then the total population is 3.7 or mm. 3.5 million. So when the statistics came out, it concludes that Papuans only make up 48%. Yeah. So we've seen huge yeah. shifts in the ethnic yeah. uh, demo demography. demography. Yeah. Whereas Papua New Guinea, um, population now, it's on reach 8 million. Yeah, so okay. one could um, yeah, draw the conclusion yeah. there. Because back then in the 60s, they both had the same mm. um, uh, yeah. figure. Yeah. Whereas now only in the indigenous is under 2, two million. Whereas, um, so you're saying that's evidence of genocide? Absolutely. Okay. And so right. the 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 yeah the research from Yale and um, Sydney University they came to that conclusion, conclusion as well. That yeah. It is a slow motion genocide right, okay. happening yeah. in West Papua. And I want to pick you up on the point as well. You just briefly mentioned um, the uh, repression of uh, independence aspirations. Uh, the Morning Star flag can't be flown, for instance. Can you talk a little bit more about the sorts of um, uh, yeah repression of independence opinions and things like that? Yes. Yeah, so basically. Um, in the in the part of the special autonomy law, um, they have some a lot of conditions that I. Oh, so that's some, one of the conditions. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, um, an article within that special autonomy law is that there is no um, symbols of separatism. Yeah. Right. Okay. So if you have flags like what was Papua Morningstar flag, then you'll be subject to imprisonment for up to 15 years. Yeah. And no, no call like you know protest or gathering that aspires your 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 will to leading towards independence. Mm, mm. So that special autonomy law for West Papua, um, which I mean the two provinces, Papua and West Papua, uh, is different to the the national law or the constitution of oh, the okay. nation. Yeah. So everything that happens when um, once he looks at the constitution, the national constitution and the law 
for Westpapo. It's very specific and very targeted. Mm. So there is no Westpapo political party that could be um, established within the bigger na uh, national framework if, let's say, coming up to election. It all has to be all within um, Indonesian um, ma major parties. Yeah. Um, and there was footage, actually, I wanted to jump in. There was footage of the Third Papuan Conference. Congress, yes. Congress, yeah. And very similar to what has had, like, headline news uh, over Catalonia's uh, independence referendum. Uh, after the decision was made that West Papua will declare independence, the police just stormed right in and just use brutality that can't even, like, really be mentioned on morning radio, really. Absolutely, yeah. yes. That was 2011, October. I remember because I was in Melbourne and also uh, helping out in um, advocating in terms of media advocacy on monitoring the process that are happening. And that is an example where um, the military, especially the, both the, the military, the police, and the special units, mm. like mobile brigades and other special uh, police units, how they are using the, they are the ones that are um, engaged directly with the Papuans. So if we wanted to stage a protest, it's the police that will that we have to seek permission from and if there's gathering or there's like I said mentioned before in terms of projects and many Papuans are still brave despite you know in the face yeah. of this repressive um, approach by the the state through these two this institution security forces Papuans still coming out and this goes back in the 80s the late 80s like with now social media in place, people can easily um, yeah, connect with what's happening, mm. like uh, as you mentioned about in Catalonia. Yeah. But in the 80s in Papua, there were massive, massive um, peaceful demonstrations and the occupation, the Occupy movement. Like they, at one point, I remember this is as talking to some of our Papuan leaders, and they occupied the national stadium in, in Jayapura. Yeah, okay. And that was. Mm, they attended by all the Papuan leaders, academics, women, children, and they bravely raised the, the, the flag. The morning star, yeah. And in surrounded, like 2011. And that is what Papuans, like, I always, like, you know, I grew up in Papua New Guinea, but now and again communicating and visiting homeland. But the, the, the mentality the, in every Papuan's hearts and minds is that, we will fight until we we die, and and that is that's kind of like the personal uh, motivation or philosophy that every Papuans that um that we've seen throughout our life, like the journey mm. that our close friends, like oh my, for me it's my mom that passed away and she died from um, mysterious uh, incident right. that I, no one can explain, yeah. no doctors, and but. I know um, she has been targeted, yeah, um, okay. and and there's a lot of uh, like Papuans that witness or survive the horrific um, uh, military or mm. especially police. Yeah, um, you're listening to Subject ACT. I'm Nathan Google. I'm here with Ronnie Kareni, who is co-founder of Rise of the Morning Star. Uh, we're not going to have time to play Black Brothers, but I thought uh, we'd bring them up because, um, from what I can tell, they were pretty important in terms of West Papuan 
um, independence politics. Uh, this was a, a rock band starting around the 70s. They're absolutely fantastic. Uh, check them out. Can you talk a little bit about uh, Black Brothers and particularly their exile from West Papua during, was it the 80s? or Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, I'll, I'll keep it brief and the music tells the story. But, oh, no, uh, we don't have time for that. But all right. I, I want yeah. you to talk about, yeah, a little yeah, bit so about Yeah, so the them. Black Brothers, um, this is one of the legendary band. Like for Papuans, like they are icons. They are the martyrs uh, in, the, in, the, in the struggle through music. How the, the manager, uh, Uncle Andy, I am Seba, um, envisioned a band that um, he, he went around Papua and identified uh, talented Papuan musicians. Mm. And, and established this band and they went to Jakarta and they have to fight their way to reach the number one chart in 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 Indonesia okay. as that one of the top Papuan bands so so they're coming from Papua so they have they seem different like in the terms of color skin and so yeah so with you know he just said yeah we are black and so yeah these are brothers so black brothers <laughs> that name came up and after a few months, they one of the song it appeals to the poverty okay. in in throughout because you know in in in, in, the, in Jakarta poverty and people living in this um, very um, like slums and things. slums yeah, yeah conditions yeah are just yeah yeah dreadful and so a song that appeals to that to that and so that song became number one and it, everyone in Indonesia can. Ref- Relate to that song. Yeah, okay. It's like yeah. one of Bob Marley's songs when he, you know, um, if uh, like redemption song, redemption or something. song. Yeah, 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 yeah. And basically, yeah. So that song became number one, and then they started touring Indonesia, and just within months, and then a lot of their songs became a threat to this national security like you know what the Indonesian government says and okay. because people are becoming too um, activated, yeah, and activated yeah. especially in in, Jab, in Medan and um, Jakarta, Jogja those places yeah. and so that brought the attention and then the state tried to re- repress that um, you know from those songs that were, were sung in the states mm. so they have to move away from there from Indonesia and so they went into Papua New Guinea and then it wasn't safe so they have to escape from there and uh, from Papua New Guinea went into to Netherlands. Oh the Netherlands, oh yes. okay right. Yeah. So when they were in Netherlands um, one of their songs was already in the process of becoming uh, a record with um, the EMI. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, recording, yeah. And in that process they were already, and they were back then, they were amongst like with uh, some big artists like um, Carlos Santana, yeah, for example, yeah. he he also recognized like they were like together, they were along like a same, and there were some big bands in Europe that already like the likes of um, like the Beatles and yeah. yes, so some of the members, so they all kind of like already know their each of their music, but then it did still the determination, the aspiration of the independence movement has. Um, brought them back to the Pacific, and mm. by which, by that stage, um, uh, Vanuatu was in the trip, in the lead up to independence, and so they invited the Black Brothers from Netherlands to come and play there. Yeah, okay. In the lead up of the of the independence, and then they 
most of the members, some lived in Vanuatu, some decided to stay back in the Netherlands. Mm. And so the big group came to Vanuatu, settled there, and they were partly involved in the in the politics in terms of um, the issue of West Papua. So yep. it was already um, in those early days, in the eight, late 80s to 90s, the Vanuatu government and the people recognized the Black Brothers, but also through their music, but also through the struggle and the, the Melanesian um, connection. Mm. And so the, that continues, they continue to support them, but then the government changed and so they, they have to flee from, uh, some of them have to be... Um, they have to flee from Vanuatu. Yeah, well, it's the change of government and internal politics and they haven't given um, citizenship, so their status was in limbo. Yeah, and okay. So, by that stage, Australia um, yep. welcomed them. Okay. And um, from some of the uh, um, photos that I saw, uh, it was Malmaninga, um, yeah. one of the uh, famous rugby... Famous Canberra Raiders player. Yeah. Yeah. He welcomed the. Um, he was yeah. He was at the time appointed okay. uh, to welcome the Black Brothers and the family settled here in in Canberra. Yeah. And so the the drummer he sees Steve Mambo, and the bass player uh, Benny and also the percussionist. So they're all in Canberra. They're, yeah, and yeah, then the wow. lead guitarist as well were here, but he passed away. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Ago. Are they going to do a reunion in Canberra? Or? Or am I going to have to wait a while yet? <laughs> That's going to be a while. <laughs> but yeah, their music was known in the Pacific, well-liked and well-loved throughout yeah. the Pacific. And um, I always say that, you know, they were, they were the Beatles of the Pacific uh, mm -hmm. back in, you know, in their time mm. through, through their music. Ronnie, we're slowly running out of time. I'd like you to talk a little bit about this um, performance that's going to happen on the 25th to 26th of November at Homegrown Festival. Yes. All around uh, Rise of the Morning Star and yes. West Papua. Yes. So yeah. Homegrown Festival is, is once again happening um, at the end of November, the 25th and the 26th. And it's going to be, it's a free event for family and it's going to be at the forecourt of the Opera House. And this year it's going to be really, really big and especially all the indigenous artists coming together and, you know, in the likes of the Yotu Yindi yep. project. It's, yep. it's, they're going to be the highlight of the, or headlining the, this, this uh, festival. And I'm glad that um, the rise of the Morning Star, um, the movement, we've, we're coming together as well as a, as a production um, a piece, which is called Sorong Samurai. I've been and speaking with Ronnie Kareni. Sorry, we're, we're going to have to jump to the news. You've been listening to Subject ACT. You can find this uh, interview on podcast form. I'm going to jump to the news now. Thanks for listening.